Super Bowl champions, Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. It's Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And, hey, Chet, after a few crazy weeks in Philly sports, things have calmed down just a little this week. The Flyers' season is all but over with nine games left after losing again last night to Montreal. They're now six, point back, six points back. The Sixers are playing great ball with Joel Embiid back in action, only to give them a rest, and they still win, and now they have the Celtics tonight. The Eagles have had a quiet week, and the Phillies have just five games left before heading north. Bryce Harper got a hit today, Chet, and Bobby Abreu is going to the Wall of Fame. March Madness is underway. And Mike Trout got paid. Yeah, I guess things have calmed down a little bit, Bill, but it is almost go time for the Phillies. The Sixers, as you mentioned, are playing well. They're riding a five-game win streak and have a huge game against the Celtics here this evening. In fact, they're starting as we speak, I guess. It's the end of an era in Big Five basketball with St. Joe's firing Phil Martelli after 24 years at the helm. Fran Dunphy leaving Temple now. Uh, the Owls being eliminated in the opening round of that play-in game. And, Bill, should I play the Dandy Don turn out the lights clip for the Flyers or wait one more week for that? I think we wait one more week. And I tell you, Chet, the Flyers, uh, we're going to get to talk a little more about that a little later with our second guest, Bob the Hound Kelly. But, you know, the Flyers, uh, they have played with a lot of heart and a lot of intensity. And I, and I mean heart as in H-E-A-R-T, <laughs> not H-A-R-T, because he has sure made a difference. And that's uh, Penguins game. Uh, over the weekend was sure fun to watch playoff hockey. Oh, man, that was great. That was fun to watch. I turned it on in between the second and third period, watched the whole third period and overtime. Boy, what drama down the stretch. And what we thought was, you know, maybe a win that would keep the Flyers alive, keep their hopes alive, but they just couldn't have it carry over to the Tuesday night game against Montreal. So now they're, they're, I mean, they're still technically alive, but we know it's pretty much over. But I think, the upside is certainly there. There's a lot to look forward to in the years ahead. Yeah, and uh, we'll have a lot of conversation down the road. And we'll ask Hound about this, too, about Scott Gordon's future. Uh, you know, the the smart money says he has certainly earned a chance to guide this team next year. But does the big bang money say we got to go get a big-name coach? So it'll be interesting to see what Hound says about that. Yeah, I have that written down as one of my questions, so I uh, definitely want to see what Hound has to say about that. All right, and as we said, two great guests again tonight. That really has me fired up. Chad, as always, we have the voice of the Phillies TV broadcast, Tom McCarthy, and, and as we mentioned two times, Stanley Cup champion for the Flyers, Bob Hound Kelly joining us. It should be great. Yeah, two terrific guys. And, you know, it's kind of funny that it was just St. Patrick's Day, and we have a McCarthy and a Kelly on with us this week. I'd like to say we planned it that way, but really it's just a coincidence. Well, we're not that smart, are we? <laughs> no, we are not, believe me. <laughs> hey, and Chet, we'll, we'll also, we'll get to this, but, you know, it was just announced, I just saw it within the last 30 minutes, that Gritty, Gritty got an honor today. Yes, he did. Not only Rookie of the Year, but I guess he's the, the top mascot in the NHL or something now. I saw Carl. Well, I didn't even know they had. A, I didn't even know they had a contest. But Gritty won it, and uh, something uh, that it is funny because I was just having a conversation this morning with our man Carl Henderson about Gritty because he is a Gritty lover, 
And uh, talking about that eBay price on that growth chart, it's going to go up again. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you, one of my thrills from this year so far was getting a chance to meet and get a photo with Gritty back in January. So everybody loves Gritty, it seems. There you go. Well, hey, Chet, I had a chance to spend some business time with the Phillies this week. And I can tell you, spring training is winding down. The buzz has not subsided. Uh, Still a few roster spots up for grabs. Probably not a whole lot of surprises, maybe except for one position is kind of how I'm seeing this thing play out. But uh, Bryce Harper, as we said, got that first hit today in a packed house spectrum field. Uh, There's a lot of buzz. Yeah, here we are on the first day of spring. It technically began, by the way, at 5.58 p.m. today. Spring is here. And we are a mere eight days away from the first regular season game, the Phil's opening at home this year on the 28th of March. Wow. I haven't really paid much attention to those last few roster spots, Bill. But, yeah, I'm curious to see who's going to be in the bullpen, among other things. I know that both pitcher Tommy Hunter, just like last year, is on the disabled list to start the season. And the oft-injured young outfielder Roman Quinn will start the season. Oh, it's, it's the injured list now, not the disabled list. We have to call it right. the injured list, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. We've got to be politically you correct. You're bet. And I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> Chad, I think the, uh, the bullpen is a little bit up for grabs, I think, with a lot of different guys there. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Nick Williams with that outfield spot. Uh, I'm pretty sure about that. And... Uh, Rodriguez is uh, seeming to be getting every opportunity to make this team as a utility player. Of course, Scott Kingry will be a utility player. Rodriguez is uh, an ex-teammate of Gabe Kapler back in the day. So uh, he's been getting some chances. Uh, Altair is also in the mix until Roman Quinn gets back. And I, I think and Knapp, obviously, is going to be behind the plate. I think that's pretty much how it's going to play out, and then the rest will be pitchers. It just depends how many pitchers they bring north. Yeah, and while they seem to like that Rodriguez kid, he's not really hitting. I think I heard he's hitting like 079 or something, so that doesn't bode well for him. And I know you love yeah. that Aaron Alt- You love that Aaron Altair, don't you, Bill? No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would be – you know, if Altair makes it, I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, I believe Roman Quinn will be the guy. Um, but today over at uh, Spectrum Field, as I said, they uh, they had McCutcheon – O'Double and Harper in the outfield, that looks pretty solid. Uh, the infield, Hoskins didn't play because he's a little banged up, so he, I think he's resting the rest of the spring. Um, and Rodriguez played first base, but they did go with their starting infield, and they looked like they're ready to go. Nick Pavetta pitched well. He didn't get the win, uh, but he pitched solid today, and I think he's going to be a key in that rotation. Yeah, everybody loves Nick. I mean, a lot of people said last year he was going to be the breakout guy, and I'll talk to Tom McCarthy about that. Uh, this could be the year. I think he's pretty much locked in as the number three guy now behind Nola and Arietta. And then it's those fourth and fifth starters that have me worried. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you said, you mentioned Tom McCarthy. You had a chance to visit with the voice of the Phillies. And uh, can't wait to hear what T-Mac's take is on this 2019 Phillies team. Yeah, you'll hear me ask Tom about his excitement level, and he's not putting on an act. He is pretty pumped for this season in light of all the big-name additions. So, without further ado, here is my chat with T-Mac about those 2019 films. We look forward to hearing from this guy every spring, the TV voice of the Phillies, Tom McCarthy. How's it going, T-Mac? Good, Chad. How are you? Doing all right. Tom, while the Bryce Harper edition has gotten the bulk of the attention this year, 
I'm going to start by asking about a couple of holdovers, the corner infielders, Reese Hoskins and Michael Franco. I think both of those guys could have big years. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Reese is one of the big keys to this team because I think he's going to bat fourth for most of the year. You know, Mike Cal, the way the lineup is set up right now, I mean, he could bat seventh or eighth the way things are situated. And obviously, Scott Kingry is still battling for a spot. I, I still think that Scott's going to be a super utility guy, and I think Mike Cal is going to be the third baseman. I mean, Mike Cal has 20, has 20 home runs or more in three straight years. So if you put him in the number seven spot or eight spot, I mean, he's basically Pedro Feliz, if not a little bit better. I think Pedro probably had a better arm at third base, more accurate. Michael has probably a stronger arm, but Pedro has, has a more accurate arm. But I think that's okay for him being, you know, the number seven or eight spot in the lineup. Okay, Harper, he'll be in Philly for a long time, maybe 13 years, yep. the length of his nice new contract. What should Philly fans expect from Harper this year? Well, I, I think it's going to be on what you saw last year. I mean, last year, obviously, he, he had a slow start average-wise, but still was able to manage, you know, over 100 walks and over 100 runs. I think you're going to get even more than that. I think you're going to get more home runs than he had last year. You know, I think this is a good contract for the Phillies on a, on a, a lot of fronts. I mean, not only the fact that it averages around $25 million a year, which I think is strange for all of us to say, but I do think that eventually the National League is going to go to the designated hitter. So I think down the road, he could be the DH for the team. So I, I think this is like Jim Tomey on steroids, honestly, mm-hmm. as far as the move goes. I think this is like when the Phillies acquired Tomey and that sort of laid the foundation for the future. I think this is reestablishing the future, honestly, for the Phillies. Yeah, I hear you. Now, of course, before Harper signed, Matt Klintak was already having a pretty great offseason. Are you as excited as I am about the additions of Gene Segura, Andrew McCutcheon, David Robertson, and JT Realmuto? I am beyond excited. I mean, you know, Robertson obviously shores up the bullpen, which is a great thing. I honestly think that the pickup of JT Realmuto and Gene Segura will solidify this defense. I mean, listen, I think that Jorge Alfaro is going to be a really good catcher in the big league. I just think that he is behind on a lot of things defensively. I also think that J.P. Crawford has a chance to be a decent major leaguer, but I, I think that Gene Segura, by the time J.P. becomes a decent major leaguer, is going to be you know what he has been the last several years. So I think those are, even if the Phillies had not signed Bryce Harper, those two pickups have been huge pickups for the Phillies this year. Mm-hmm. Hey, we talked with Larry Anderson on our show last week about the starting pitching. He's cautiously optimistic about the rotation beyond Aaron Nola, but frankly, the rotation is my one major concern this year. I remember yep. you were you were high on Nick Pavetta a year ago, and he showed flashes, but was still pretty much inconsistent. Will he or one of the other guys, three, four, five guys, have that breakout season? Maybe. Well, I hope that Nick does. I think that you know Nick. I think they they feel like Nick is like Mike Fultonevich from the Atlanta Braves in a lot of ways, which would be huge because he would get signed on the vote. I think consistency is the big thing for him. My thing with the Phillies rotation is that you've got Nola, and I think you've got Arietta, and I think Arietta is going to have a bigger year this year. And then after that, I mean, there are guys in AAA like J.J. Romero and Cole Urban that could find their way into this rotation. I I think Nick Pavetta has got a chance to be a really good starting pitcher in the big leagues. But, Chet, my thing is, if he's not, I think the Phillies have the wherewithal to go out and get somebody else to be the three and four. And I think that's obviously the big question, and they know that coming into this year. I'm excited about what Nick could do, but I'm also concerned about four and five. I mean, I think that those guys have the ability, but can they – put it together for the long the long term of this season. There's no question Velasquez has great stuff. There's no question that Ikoff has great stuff. But can Ikoff be healthy? 
can Velasquez command the fastball? I think that's a big thing. Yeah, a lot of questions there. It is a crowded bullpen. Sir Anthony, Robertson, Neres, Hunter, Nishak, yep. Morgan, Ramos, a few others. How's Gabe going to handle that? Is he going to mix and match? How do you see things shaking out over the latter stages of tight games? I think he loves it, I, and I do too. I think the fact that you know he can look at the four and five starters that can go, let's say, five innings or six innings, and they can lean on those guys. I actually think that Robertson will close. I think Sir Anthony will close, and I think Hector Neris will close. Now, if you ask me what point in the season they will close, I can't tell you that. <laughs> I, I think that it's going to depend on how good they are. I love the way Adam Morgan has thrown this spring. I think he's been great. The fact that Austin Davis has already been sent down lets you know that they're pretty happy with the way that Alvarez has pitched, and you know he's the guy that they acquired from the Angels. For Luis Garcia, which I thought was a great trade because I think the Phillies have a lot of Luis Garcias in their system. Yeah, I, I think the bullpen is one of their strengths. I mean, I know statistically people say, well, they weren't the best bullpen in the, the league last year, but I, I'm projecting. I'm thinking they're going to be one of the best bullpens in the league this year. I think Robertson's going to be a huge addition to this team. We never know what to expect from Odubel Herrera. He missed a lot of time this spring <laughs> with a hamstring injury yeah. and an illness. Assuming good health, will Odubel maybe have a bounce back year? Well, I, I think he will. I, I mean, I've talked to him a lot. I think that he is refocused on things. But here's the thing. If he doesn't, they're just going to move on. And I, I know that people say, well, they should have done that last year. Well, they probably should have done it last year. They don't have the depth to do it this year. I'm not saying that they have the Roman Quinns, who's obviously banged up too. But if for some reason Odubel does not do what they want him to do, they're just going to put McCutcheon in center field and find somebody else to play left field. So I think they're okay with making the move this year if he does not perform the way they want him to. I think he's going to have a good year. I really do. I I mean, I think he's as talented a player as you will see in the National League with his skill set. But he has to stay healthy. There's no doubt about that. So manager Gabe Kapler was on 97.5 The Fanatic recently and uh, said we might see more of a stable lineup this year. We don't have to tinker as much. Daryl Mozo is going to play almost every day. Reese Hoskins is going to play almost every day. So is Caesar. So is Gene Segura. So is McCutcheon. So is Harper. So these guys are going to be in the lineup every day. They're also going to settle into a comfort zone. So there's not going to be as much need to mix and match and tinker as you guys, as you guys saw last year. All right, Kapler's got a year last year. That's probably an understatement. With a nice infusion of talent, will he manage differently this year? I think he will. I, I think the thing about Gabe, and I've tried to tell people this, and believe me, I, there were some things that I would sit there and say, okay, I might have done that a little differently. Um, <laughs> I do think he's different, and I don't always necessarily think that different is a bad thing, Chet, honestly. In this day and age, what he is doing is not different than what other teams are doing. Here's what I'll tell you about Gabe, that I talk to him every day, and I've talked to him every day this spring, and he finds the time to tell me this is the way we're going to do things. And I'll say, all right, but what if it doesn't work? And he'll say, all right, we're going to do it this way. So he's more malleable than I think people think he is, and what I would like to see is just people give him a chance. The one thing about it, and he's realistic about this, and and I think this is where he's really cool, is that he knows if if for some reason they go off to a bad start, then – Somebody else is probably going to be managing this team. So he wants this to be good. He loves being in Philadelphia. He loves it. He loves the energy of it. He loves the people. You know, I've always said that he's been really good to all of us, you know, whether it be me or Scott or Larry or, you know, Kevin Franzen or Ben or, or Murph. So I want to give him a chance. I think that he is going to manage this team differently. I really do because I think he understands where his faults may have lied last year.
I think this National League East is going to be fun to watch. I mean, I think four of the teams got better. The Nationals, of course, gave a ton of money to Patrick Corbin. Bryce Harper came from Washington to the Phillies. What's that Nats-Phillies rivalry going to be like? I think it's be great. I hope they I hope they sell tickets to the Phillies fans because they'll buy it more than the uh, DC fans will. Yeah. Uh, listen, there's no question, Chet. You know this as well as anybody. Their pitching right now on paper is better probably than a lot of other teams. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Mets. They have Syndergaard. They have Degrom. Okay, they probably have others too. But the Nationals had the best pitching, starting pitching in the league on paper. I just think the Phillies have better offense. I think they'll figure it out, eh? and I think they'll win more games. I think the divisions could be great. I mean, people talk about the National League Central and the American League Central. I love the National League East. I don't think it's going to be at all a cakewalk for the Phillies. But I think that the most important thing is that the Phillies are going to be in the mix going down to the end, and that's what we've been looking for. Okay, 66 wins two years ago, 80 last year. Any predictions yeah. for this season, Tom? Well, I, I like I like the number that Vegas is at. I like 89. I like that. I like that being the focal point. I, do I think they'll get more than that? I think they need more than that to win the division. But I like that number. I like 89, 90 in that area right there. I do not think that the winner of this division is going to win 100 games. I don't think they're winning 95 games. I think the winner of this division is going to win 92 games. So I like Vegas' number right now. It's 89-and-a-half, I think. That's the over-under. I would not be surprised if the winner of this division wins 90 games. I don't know how you can't say that the Phillies are not the leader in the pack. I mean, I know the Braves are the defending champions. They're a year older. Their pitching staff is, is really good. The Phillies' bullpen better than the Braves' bullpen. So I like the 89 number, but I, I think it's going to be more than that. I think it's going to be north of that, maybe one or two games. One last thing, Tom, it's NCAA tournament time. Now, we're talking before yeah. Selection Sunday, but I don't think we're going to see a Nova repeat this year. Who cuts down the nets on April 8th? You know, I said I, I, love, I love the Duke team. I love the Michigan State team because I love Cassius Winston. I don't think there's going to be a surprise team. I think that Villanova may have been the surprise team last year. I just think Duke with Zion back, it's going to be hard to beat him. Honestly, I don't like the upstarts. I don't like Gonzaga, even though they're the number one team right now in the country. They lost the conference championships. I think the national champion is going to come out of the Big Ten, whether it be Michigan State, Michigan, or it's going to come out of the SEC. I just think that's the way it's going to break down. All right. Tom, thanks for doing this. We're a fifth straight season here on a Philly Press Box Radio. Always great to get your insight. Thanks, Chet. Hey, Chet. Good stuff. T-Mac yeah. all over it, and uh, boy, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, you, you can see, and we said the same thing when we had Larry uh, Anderson last week, you can just feel the excitement, and it's all over It's all over the place in Clearwater. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this team, I mean, on paper, anyway, is so much better than last year, and uh, I mean, they somehow won 80 games last year, and if the pitching is even halfway decent, I think they're going to score a lot more runs this year. They should win 90 games, for sure, at least. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a little surprised. Uh, I was going to say that to you. You know, T-Max saying 89. I, I'm, I'm thinking, Chet, that this – I mean, I get all his points that these teams are all better, but uh, to me this team's got to win a lot more than 90 games if they're going to win the NL East, 96, 98. This is, a, this is the best offensive team on paper that we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, um, it's all going to come down to the pitching, I think. I think they're going to hit for sure. Uh, you got to stay healthy. you got to get the good pitching. But uh, 90 wins should be, you know, 
easily attained, I think, and I'm hoping to see 95 or 96. And you know what, Bill? Next week, you and I are going to make our fearless predictions. Yes, we are. Can't wait. And, uh, hey, I wanted to give out a, a shout to uh, Chet because as I was over at Clearwater, I got to see our pal Steve Potter again today. And uh, Steve's all over what's going on over there at uh, in Clearwater. And, uh, you know, he, he's got his book out that you have a copy of. I have not been able to get a copy of yet, but I'm going to. Uh, good to see Steve, and uh, he is full of information. I think Steve might be listening, too, because he uh, actually texted me a few minutes ago, said, T-Mac is the man, and he certainly is. So, uh, <laughs> hey, let me, tell you All what, right. let me tell you about our friends at the Irish Rover. Now, I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but I think, Bill, that the Irish Rover Station House is still standing after what was, I'm sure, a wild St. Patrick's Day weekend. I did stop in on Saturday afternoon for a couple of, I mean, to say hello to Chris, <laughs> and it was crowded, <laughs> and I heard through the grapevine that it was packed on Sunday for the big day. It's always a great time, a great atmosphere at the Irish Rover, and you can always find food and drink specials, happy hour deals, and, of course, 24 beers on tap. There is a DJ there Friday nights and bands most Saturdays. This Saturday night, the 23rd, it is Steamboat Annie. And then on the 30th, Clancy's Pistol will be firing on all cylinders. It is the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chad, I guess that was just a Freudian slip that maybe the listeners didn't hear, but I certainly <laughs> did hear. So, <laughs> And it's okay, all day forever. Beers. Sue me, I had two beers. It's on tape forever. Well, hey, Chad, it's random Q2 time. Explain the process. Ask away. I'm ready for you. And uh, we're getting, we're starting to wind this thing down. Yeah, we are. And we apologize for the little uh, crackling in the background. That's uh, this little studio that I'm working in has been acting up on me occasionally. So I'm going to have our finest engineers take a look at that. Anyway, Bill, yeah, week seven of our third season of Random Q2. Again, Random Q2, the 10-week series, we're over two minutes or so each week. I hit Bill with two questions, one about a sports topic, usually something timely. The second question, then, as I choke here, <clears throat> will be one of ten random questions that have already been written down about whatever. Bill will pick a number from one to ten each week, whatever numbers are left. So here we go. Bill, word came down last Friday that the NFL is suspending running back Kareem Hunt, now with the Browns, for eight games for personal conduct issues related primarily to that videotape that showed him appearing to kick and throw a punch at a woman in a hotel hallway last June. Was that suspension, eight games, too harsh, too lenient, or just right? Uh, boy, well, it certainly was not too lenient. Uh, I'm going to go with it's probably just about right. Um, you know, I mean, people make mistakes. They get put out there. He's going to miss half a season. He's going to miss half a season pay. And, and by no means am I justifying what he did. Don't, don't get me wrong for a second. But from a football standpoint, I'm going to go with about half, you know, this being about right. But to follow that up, it will be interesting to see um, what, if anything, they do with Robert Kraft along the same lines. Yeah. So yeah. that will be interesting. And by the way, your answer is correct. It is just right, in my opinion, because, I mean, keep in mind, he missed most of last season after this was revealed. So he, you know, kind of lost time there. Now he's going to miss another eight games. 
And, yeah, he will pay the price, and now it's up to him to do better in the future. All right, your second question, Bill. You know the drill. Pick a number. Your remaining number choices are three, four, six, and nine. It just seems like it should be a Bryce Harper day. Chad, he got a hit, so we got to go number three. Ah, I like the way you think. All right, Bill, if you could sit down for a dinner conversation with any celebrity, athlete, or historical figure, dead or alive, who would it be and why? John Wooden. <laughs> John Wooden. That's a good answer. That is a good he answer. Is my, he is my favorite person that I never had an opportunity, and I, I'm, I'm just talking with sports guys. Um, wow. But, uh, you know, Joe Paterno would be up there, but I actually had the opportunity to, to talk with Joe, uh, Bobby Bowden. It's coaches. It's coaches, guys that have done those kind of things. But John Wooden, uh, you know, I've read probably every book that's ever been written about him, and he would be at the very top of my list. Boy, now I feel bad for myself for saying that Kate Beckinsale would be my answer. I feel so, you know. <laughs> but you get it. Is she still a celebrity after that sideline kiss she gave out to that nerd? Yeah, she is still a celebrity, and she is still beautiful, and she's still at the top of my list. So don't be knocking Kate Beckinsale. Let's move on. Bill. All right, I'm going, I'm going John Wooden to answer your question. I think I aced All it right. tonight. You did. That's an A-plus tonight. All right, all right, Chad, let's talk some Sixers. Uh, they clinched their playoff spot. They're sitting in the third in third place, 11 games left in the regular season. How are you coaching this team up for the last 11? Were you surprised about the load management night off last night for Joel Embiid? Well, I'll tell you, I'm playing pretty much to win every game now to secure the third seed in the East while also giving the Stars an occasional night off, as they did with Butler last week and Joel last night. As we've discussed, the third seed gets you a date with either the Pistons, Nets, or Heat, all of which should be an easy opening round win. So remember, this new group of Sixers has only started seven games together. Tonight is number eight. So they need to continue to play together and get to know each other better for you know the postseason. And I'm going to need a load management night off myself one of these weeks, Bill, just so you know. Well, you know, and it's funny you say that because – I, I don't get the load management night off thing uh, at all. And I'm with you. I think this team needs to be lining things up. They need to be playing hard every night. Uh, but my second part to this question for you, Chet, is you mentioned what a big game tonight is with Boston. In, in reality, this game is meaningless. Um, but it's circled on the calendar. It's six or Celtics. Uh, how big a game do you think it really is? Well, boy, I'm going to totally disagree with you on this one. I think it has significant meaning simply because the Celtics have beaten the Sixers something like 21 out of the last 25 times, 8 out of the last 10 with more of the current guys. The Sixers have to find out if they can actually beat this team. If they get swept in the whole season series against the Celtics, that's going to play on you mentally going into the playoffs. They had an excuse before. It was a different team, different guys. But now they have the five guys they want to be facing the Celtics. They're at home. If they don't make a statement tonight, that's going to play on them emotionally and mentally. So I think it's a huge game. I don't know what you're talking about, pal. Well, I can tell you what I'm talking about is that <laughs> if, they're, if they lose this game, they're still going to be in third place, and the Celtics are still going to be, what, ten games back or whatever it is out of first place, nine, yeah, whatever about- it is. All about confidence and knowing that you can beat this team if you have to play them in, for example, the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, playoff intensity is a whole new game. 
but let me take this thing one step further with you, Chet. Let's just say they get whipped tonight and the Brett Brown haters come back out like they do every time they lose. Uh, how much are you hanging this on Brett Brown that he can't beat the Celtics? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of that. Every time they win a game, it's the players who won it. Every time they lose a game, it's something Brett Brown did in the minds of a lot of people. So they've got to you know, do something against the, against the Celtics, and hopefully you know, it'll be Brett Brown making some wise decisions down the stretch, calling some great plays or you know, making the proper substitution or calling a timeout when he's supposed to because there's a lot of Brett Brown haters out there. Yes, there are. Well, just for an update, Chad, it's 19-13 Celtics for 6:38 to go in the first. So we'll keep an eye on that as we go. But, hey, Chad, as you know, I am a big Flyers hockey fan, and I'm disappointed this season is likely to be going to end without a trip to the playoffs. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Are you ready to talk some hockey? Because I think we have our guest on the line. I'm not quite sure, but I, I dialed the number. You heard a ring, so shall we find out? Let's do it. There's nobody better you to talk Flyers hockey than our next guest, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Bob the Hound Kelly. Welcome back, Bob. Hey, guys. Thank you. You got too much negativity. I'm going to hang up on you. <laughs> <laughs> no negativity here. Uh, well, you know what, Bob? When I when I invited you last week, come on to come on with us. The Flyers had closed to within three points of that final wild card spot. Now they're like six points back. So I think it's your fault. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're down there cheering <laughs> and working as hard as we can, and uh, it, the chips are where they lay. And uh, the boys have put up a good effort. And until we're mathematically out, we're, you know, we're still in. But it's a it's, it's a tough grind. They know that. Yep. Well, Hound, this Flyers team probably doesn't have enough time to finish off this miracle comeback and sneak into the playoffs, as we said, but what's behind the turnaround from that awful first half of the season? They're clearly a much better team now. Yeah, well, you know what? Since, uh, obviously, the uh, getting rid of Hextall and Hackstall there, uh, the, the guys seem to have a lot of uh, uh, reinvigorated uh a different voice, uh, maybe a more of a calming voice and, and one of structure and uh, relating to these guys better than maybe what was in there before. I have no idea. These are only my own thoughts or my thoughts only in this conversation. Um, but, you know, they seem to have responded and and uh, uh, the young guys have stepped up. Uh, you know, the inj- we had a couple of tough injuries there at the start and the kids seem to respond a little bit, and uh, obviously you hate to see Wayne Simmons go. But it's part of the game; it's a business, and uh, they just seem to really buy into the system. There are some adjustments to the system there, and uh, the kids have been bonding together. We have a lot of young faces in there, and you know, and, and obviously, uh, you know, we've been through eight goaltenders now. So, uh, uh, you know, Hart seems like uh, he, he's going to be our future, and uh, who his backup is, I mean, nobody knows at this point in time. But and then he got hurt as well too, so. We've had a battle in there, but, um, you know, Ron did a great job in in, uh, in salary cap, dumping salaries, uh, moving bodies and getting stuff in there. So we're in a, we're in a real good situation uh, for cap space next year to bring on some some decent uh, some decent players to fill some, some voids in there and, and, and get a different look. But with uh, some of our prospects down there, I mean, he loaded up Lehigh, and it looks good. So I think we're on a promising note, unfortunately, uh, I'm kind of with you. I mean, we we all want to see see them get in. A lot of people don't, but uh, it, it'll be a battle right to the end. And who knows? It could come down the game against Columbus, the last game of the year for us. So we have no idea. 
Well, I'll tell you, this young team really has me excited, and that that's why I'm disappointed. I don't think we're going to get to see them play in the playoffs because I think they they have done so well over these last 25 games. And I and the thing that really excites me, I think, the most is the the Nolan Patricks, the Travis Konechny's, those young kids uh, seem to take a step up once the coaching change was made. But they've even taken another step, in my mind, since Wayne Simmons was gone. They're, they're playing with a little attitude, a little different grit than, uh, than it looked like they had before. And, and to me, that's really exciting. These are two, two young guys that I think are really going to be stars. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I call connecting like my little dog for crying out loud. I'll take on the biggest horse and the dog out there in the park there. And, uh, you know, the way the rules are and the way the game's being officiated, I mean, there's room to do that. And not the fear from the old days and stuff like that, but they really play it. It's such a fast game out there. It's highly skilled. I mean, and they do, they work their tails off. I mean, last night's game was a real good game both ways. And, uh, you know, Montreal just got a little bit of an edge going in there. And, um, uh, but the kids work hard. And I think the future, the future looks like I said, looks good for the guys. Good, good young kids coming. And then that Ratcliffe, who's six, six, got an opportunity next year. And, I think when Gordon took over, he said, hey, guys, here's the situation. Everybody's got an opportunity. I want to bring some guys up and try them because we've got nothing to lose. Uh, we weren't going anywhere. And, uh, you know, guys seem to have bought in that. Wilson's done a good job coming in there. And, uh, you know, um, there's good voices in there. The players are responding. The players are listening. And uh, they're playing today's game. And, uh, and like I said, other than some couple of really good shots and stuff there, I mean, it's, uh, you know, any any second you can be – Winning or you could be down. It's uh, it's a possibility the way the game's played today. Hey Bob, one of those new young guys is uh, the newest defenseman, Phil Myers. Big guy at six foot five. He's been up for more than a month now. He looks like he's a keeper. He is. I mean, Hag and uh, Sandheim, the same thing. Both big kids. They get up and down the ice fast. They jump in the play. You know, Gudis is a stay-at-home back there. Pro Rock. It is what it is with him, and he, he's playing great. And they got the ghost in there, so. Um, you know, there's a couple more kids coming. Uh, obviously, big uh, Sam Moran, they like to see get in there, but, you know, still fighting for that spot. They don't want to, you know, take a chance and put him and, and, and do any damage to him, you know, mentally or physically in there. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty good pace going on out there. Hey, you mentioned Carter Hart. I think, uh, you know, whether it was – him playing so good or the defense picking it up or both of them together, but he sure has uh, put some life into this team, and uh, he, he sure looks good for the future and that brings a lot of excitement. Well, you know, we bring, we bring up, uh, you know, forwards, uh, defensemen, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, and I don't think that he may have gotten an opportunity under the old regime, but, uh, hey, put him out here. Let's see what the kid's got. He, he seems to have it uh, – Seems to have his head together out there. He, I think he moves very fluid and effortlessly in, in the net there. I don't know much about goaltender because I only had Bernie to have fun with. Um, he, he seems to be very comfortable in there, and he loses, but you got to shake that off. It's, uh, it's like when you lose in a shootout, the goaltenders got to let that go by the side. I mean, they battled hard to get there, and now you're lost in a shootout. It's one-on-one. It, it happens. It's part of it, and you got to shake that off and be ready to go again the next night. He, he seems to have the mental uh, aptitude ready out there. Players seem to want to, you know, work for them, and, and they all feel bad if, if, you know, if they do a turnover and a goal gets scored there. And, um, you know, I, I think he's the best thing that's come along and just got to find a counterpart that can hang in there with him uh, would need it. But, uh, hey, he did a great job with Pittsburgh in, in the stadium series and then again in Pittsburgh. And, 
you know, Washington blows apart. Maybe they could come back against Ottawa. I mean, you can second guess all day long, but I think the kid has the tools. I, I think this is the best season for him right now. And like you said, we may we may hurt a little bit this year, but I think that uh, all guns should be, uh, you know, loaded for next year without question. Bob, Scott Gordon is still by definition the Flyers' interim coach. Under Gordon, the Flyers are 23-15-4. and The players certainly seem to have responded to him, as we discussed. Should management give him the job or look for alternatives still? Well, that's not my pay level to, to comment on that. Pretend to be. I'll just be a little creative a little bit. Uh, obviously, everybody's throwing out Quinville's name out there. I mean, uh, Joel's making $6 million this year. He makes $6 million next year. Uh, does he want to jump in the fire with uh, a bunch of young kids and kind of develop them? Does he like a more seasoned team? Uh, does he want to be like uh, a George McPhee and maybe he goes to Seattle and he's on the cusp of bringing in a brand-new franchise, new team. He has, you know, say in all the, you know, the people coming in and, what a great, great opportunity for him to help build that Seattle connection out there. And uh, like George did, you know, get embedded in the community and be, be part of the whole organization. It's just be, instead of being just a coach coming in and, and whatever happens, happens out there. So uh, it's great. It's a great thing for uh, Fletch to uh, to decide what they want to do. Um, like you said, the kids seem to be responding. They had the kids down there in, in Lehigh and the kids coming in seem to like them. So, um, again, that's a, definitely a management decision. Hey, Bob, when you look at a player uh, like an Ivan Provorov, who I think probably has played a lot better here in the last quarter of the season, but probably I think we would all agree has maybe been, uh, you know, an average player this season and took maybe a little step back from last season where he was really pretty good. Um, what, What happens to a young guy like that that all of a sudden he just can't seem to get on track? Is that is that a common thing? Is it a mental thing? Obviously, he's got a ton of talent. He's got talent. <clears throat> I think we all slip into different situations, and I think that's where a guy like Gudis and McDonald there have a chance. At, whether they play alongside, but they don't play alongside whoever he's matched up with, uh, whether he's on the wrong side of the, the defense or whatever, shooting the wrong way. I think it's something that you go through. You have a little bit of uh, um, the game so quick and a turnover, it's in your net. Uh, you know what it's like out there. You, you miss man coverage and it's in your net, uh, whatever. And you start thinking too much. And I think that's where the communication really comes in. And, and I'm only hearing vibes out of there. I, I know nothing firsthand other than that, you know, they, they seem to have a, a good rapport with the, the coaches and assistant coaches where it's all about reinforcement and, you know, mistakes happen. Be better next time out. Be more conscious next time out. And reassuring the kids that, hey, yeah, you screwed up, but you know what? You got to move on. The game, the game's moving. You can't dwell on a mistake that you made. Uh, it is a game of mistakes out there. And uh, I think he's got a real good upside to him. Again, another young kid. Uh, he's, he couldn't play really well. Uh, shit, my third year in the National Hockey League, I scored four goals, but you know, I kept my penalty minutes high. But so it's like. I didn't score, but I did. I did other things to contribute. So, um, you know, the, the guy's going through a little bit there. He, he kind of started. He had a little bit of an injury problem here again, and you know, you don't get told everything that goes on there. But uh, I, I think that all, all things are very, very positive for him as well up, up front there, and um, you know, hopefully he continues. Hey Bob, not only did the Flyers and Penguins play that incredible game the other night in Pittsburgh. They played a memorable stadium series game at the Link last month. Now, you played in an alumni game or two outdoors. How do you like the outdoor games? 
Well, you know what? It was nice and sunny. It was an afternoon game. Uh, we played the Rangers there, and you know, in front of that crowd, and, and, and with the sun hadn't done too much damage on the ice. I think we had to delay an hour or two to play the game. I could be wrong, but you know, it, it was so much fun just to be in front of your fans for a bunch of old guys uh, out there. And Keenan really wanted to win. He kept putting Messier against Clarkie every shift, or double shift him out there. So he really wanted to win. But you know, it was so much fun, and, and then. You know, you parlay it to the stadium game, you got all that water on the ice and everything, no big deal. And yet Toronto's got too much water on the ice there uh, a week or so ago. It was a whole big deal. So, you know, player safety and how the, how the league officiates and, and, and garners these things, it's, uh, you know, very up and down, different different moves all the time. Well, Bob, speaking to the alumni, uh, you, there's an event with the alumni this Friday night, I believe. Are you part of that? And, and can you <laughs> tell us something about it? <laughs> well, first off, it has nothing to do with the National Hockey League. It has nothing to do with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, it's totally the Flyers alumni. And uh, Brad Marsh, as president of Flyers alumni, has put together a uh, you know a fight night here in South Philly. And people still get a little get excited when fights happen. And you know the level different kinds of fighting styles over the decades have, have transpired. So. We've got uh, we've got Terry O'Reilly, Knuckles Nyland. Um, uh, we've got Marty McSorley coming in. The Bruce brothers, Stanley Brownie, got the move Schulte. I got invited. Um, a few other guys there. So it'll be like a three period type thing. Uh, we'll get a chance to honor some some fine uh, warriors uh, under the Philadelphia umbrella here, and uh, just a fun night to get together. And and uh, Lou Nolan will be part of it. Uh, I don't know Gritty might even make an appearance there, but. You know, it, it's our old it's our old uh, mentality here, where um, you just get to see some stuff, and then there's like Q and A from the from the audience and everything like that when they show the different things. So um, it's just something different to try. We uh, we've made a pledge to uh, to Mr. Snyder for two million. Uh, he matches two to one. So we're getting we're going to rehab the uh, the uh, class of twenty three rink, uh, which is owned by Penn and that, and call it the Edward M. Snyder Building. So all the money we do are fundraisers. I have a fantasy camp in August. We have a ball floating. Things that we do and a great sponsorship, so we have wonderful people. Um, it's all to raise money to give back to to help develop these kids to have a first-class life if they can. Hey, speaking of the alumni, Bob, we may have talked about this the first time you were on with us two years ago, but so many of the Flyers alumni still live in the area, a lot of them in South Jersey. What is it about the Flyers organization and the, the area that so many guys want to stick around? Well, you know, us old guys were we were mostly here eight to ten years together. You embedded, and you get you get traded, so you you take off for for a year or two years. And you come back, um, you get the kids embedded in the school system, all that. It's a great area here. You've got the shore. You can go to the mountains. You can get to New York. Go to Washington if you want. Um, obviously, like John McClary is still here. Primo's here. Tim Kerr is still here. Uh, Nick Schultz is here. Kimo Timon is still here. We've got Danny Breer here that's entwined with this organization and. You know, we 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 obviously sorely missed uh, Mr. Snyder and stuff like that, but he set up such a good bonding with uh, with Comcast and Dave Scott, who's the head of it here. Um, you know, it's like a seamless transition. Um, you know, everything is still 150% for the team. The building we're, we're going through a total renovation. It's all about making you know the experience. Uh, you know, the social thing that's out there today. I mean, a lot of people don't want to sit for two and a half hours in their seat and watch hockey and they want to be entertained. So that's why you've got all the things going on in the game. People want entertained and 
it's just a, a great place to be here, and uh, a lot of guys enjoy coming back uh, for for our golf outing we do every year. We'll bring fifty or sixty guys back uh, from all over the place, and it's great seeing these guys because sometimes you lose track of people, and it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I came here 19 years old from Fort Credit. And I'm 68. And I'm not going anywhere, so I'm still having fun. <laughs> Speaking of the alumni you and like uh, your old hey, teammates. Little, little chuckle, you like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, not that you're 68, but that you're not going anywhere. Yeah. You <laughs> hope. Hey, Bob, one of your old teammates, Gary Dornhofer, I remember this quote from several years ago, and I was able to find it again the other day ahead of your visit. According to Gary Dornhofer, he said, uh, I don't know when this was, but last time we were in St. Louis, Hound spent two hours standing under the arch. He thought he was at McDonald's. Is that true? <laughs> well, you know what? Back in our day, it was all about ribbing, and, you know, it's, it's, that's almost too educated for Dorney to come up with. But, uh... <laughs> Dorney, Dorney, is, Dorney is somebody who I idolized uh, coming in. Uh, obviously, all the older guys, the Mary Ashby's, the Hillman brothers, and, you know, the original six I broke in when there's only 12 teams. And uh, back in the day, like, you, you, you pack up your U-Haul, you drove down. We had a we had a month-to-month apartment that everybody lived in this, this development. So, unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a, young, I'm a young kid, and... Uh, I'm living in Serge Bernier. We're living over top of Dorney's apartment. He had young kids, and I, I really feel bad to this day, and I've told him that many, many times. But be many, many a night, he'd be knocking on the on the, on the ceiling at 2 o'clock. Went, Go to sleep, you dumb guys, and be yelling and screaming at us up there. <laughs> I felt bad for him, but, you know, that was part of the growing pains. <laughs> Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, Hound, hey, we appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight, and uh, good luck with Friday night. Sounds like it should be a great event. Wish we could attend that. Well, we're looking forward to it. And, again, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Anytime, just uh, reach out. We're happy to go on with you. All right. Thanks for your Thanks, time. Hound. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, Chet, did you know 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, it does sound like me. You need to talk to Dave Avoy from Allstate in Westchester, PA. Yeah, the same person you count on to help protect you. You can also uh, get help from him regarding a reasonable retirement goal. Then show you the right financial solutions to help you get there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoy in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The number is 610-430-0700. And start planning for your retirement today. Again, Dave Lavoy at 610-430-0700. Yeah, I think I better give Dave a call. Hey, Chad, as we said, things are pretty quiet, I guess, overall at the NovaCare Complex this week with the Eagles. Uh, there still seems to be some big holes to fill. What, what do you see as the next step? Well, they did sign a DB the other day, a safety specifically in Andrew Sendejo, and to the surprise of many, they decided to bring back Ronald Darby for another year. I like that move, by the way. Darby is sometimes... Not a great tackler, I know that, but he is a decent cover guy, and he seems to have a nose for the football. As we said last week, there's still very much in need of a running back and maybe another linebacker. So if there's nobody left in free agency that they want or like, they'll address those spots in the draft, or at least we hope that they will, because they definitely need a little help, I think, at both running back and linebacker. Yeah, I do too, and uh, I, let's see how this plays out. I think there's going to be some trades. I still think there's going to be some trades out there. Cleveland 
you know, we talked about them a little bit last week. I think they're loaded up for the point they may move some people. Uh, Duke Johnson may be one that could be available that would be a nice fit for the Eagles. Uh, I don't know if the Eagles and Giants actually make a trade, but the Giants have 12 draft picks. They're going to be wheeling with somebody, I think, to, to move move some things around as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting how this plays out before we're through. Oh, yeah, there's still going to be some more moves made. We know that, and you know we're starting to see some of the mock drafts. I haven't really paid attention to them just yet, but we're getting closer and closer. When is the draft? April 28th or something like that? So, uh, yeah, end of April. Before long, we're going to probably have to have a Fran Duffy on with us, maybe dust off Mark Eckel to come back. Uh, we'll be talking with Ray Diddy at some point in the not-too-distant future because, as we discussed previously, football season is a – 52-week-a-year thing anymore. There's always some kind of news and something to discuss, and the Eagles still have a few moves to make. We know that. Yep, and as you mentioned, well, and don't forget, before I I was going to mention Fran Duffy, we're working on getting Fran lined up to come in. Uh, We need a quarterback. We haven't said that for a while. We need a quarterback, I think. Yeah, we don't. We don't know for sure if Nate's – is Nate coming back? Definitely. I haven't heard that. I assume Nate Sudfield will be, you know, given a shot at the backup. But uh, they'll certainly bring somebody else in to compete. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll even draft somebody in the sixth or seventh round to, uh, you know, get a shot. I don't know. But, yeah, you got to have yeah, a good guy well, now. Yeah, I think the, the, yeah, the word kind of is with Nate is he – I believe he is going to be back. And, but it's not a guarantee that he's the two guy. Right. Um you know, there was some there was some discussion about Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, but he's now since signed with the Dolphins. Uh, you know, a, a player like that with some experience that could step in if Carson were to go down, heaven forbid, for a third straight year, that wouldn't be good. Uh, but but a player like that that uh, may be added to the roster at some point. Yeah, always a possibility, and we're going to hear a lot more about that, I'm sure, over the next month ahead of the draft. Absolutely. Hey, Chet, let's move on. March Madness underway. As we said, Temple uh, made the dance, lost to Belmont in the playoff game in Fran Dunphy's last game. Villanova comes in as a six-seed against St. Mary's. And Phil Martelli is out at Hawk Hill for the Hawks. Yeah, I'm going to have some thoughts about both Martelli and Dunphy in my parting shot, so stay tuned for that, Bill. Uh, As for Villanova, I'm not the diehard college hoops guy that others are, but I was really surprised that the Wildcats, fresh off a third straight Big East title, were only seeded six. I really thought they'd be, if not a four seed, then certainly a five. Do you think they were under-seeded? Uh, no, I think they're about right, and I think it's because they were inconsistent. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they started out, they lost some games, then they won a whole load of games. I think they were sitting at like 20 and six, and then they lost a couple, won a couple. And then they lost like three in a row down the stretch. Yeah, and I hurt. think that's really what knocked them out. And, and to be honest with you, Chet, this is a rebuilding year, I believe, for Jay Wright. And uh, I, I think six is right. And, frankly, I don't see them winning too many games here. Yeah. Well, anyway, I have uh, sitting in front of me a printout of the 68-team field, which now has 66 teams in it because of the two play-in games that have been played. And tonight i got to work on this bracket because I'm in a couple of pools I committed to already. So, do uh, you have any thoughts? Who do you think is going to win it all? Duke is the favorite, according to most people. But, you know, there's the other number one and number two seeds who have a good shot. What's your initial thought? Who's going to win it? Well, I think my initial thought is it's going to be Duke as long as Zion is playing because he's heads above everybody else. But I do think there's a team like Virginia who is really good. 
and can play. They're also a number one seed and can play with Duke. Uh, so a team like Virginia might could, could get in there, but I think overall, I think the, the one seeds are probably the, certainly the top four teams in the country, and uh, we'll, we'll see if they can make it to the Final Four. Yeah, I'm, my gut is telling me to pick North Carolina just because I don't have it in my heart to pick Duke, and I know so many other people are going to pick Duke, but I think I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. Well, let me ask you this, Chet. Does it bother you at all that three of the top four seeds are from the same conference? Does that does that make any difference to you? No, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, they play some good basketball down there, so it makes sense to me. And I guess Gonzaga is the one outlier. Gonzaga is always, you know, in the – one or two or three or four seed area every year, it seems, but they never seem to have a legitimate shot at winning for whatever reason. But I'm not surprised that Duke and Virginia and North Carolina are all number one seeds. They all had pretty good seasons. Well, interesting thing to me is we have three, we have three uh, ACC teams in there, but in football, if you put that second SEC team in or a third, <laughs> oh, my goodness, the, the world would fall. So, Kind of interesting yeah. how that plays its way out. Yeah, but the difference is here you can be a lower seed and still have a shot. Over in the football world, there are only you know four teams that really will get a shot to play for the national championship. So that's the difference. You can still be a, like a third or fourth seed here in the basketball tournament and win the tournament. In football, if you're you know seventh in the country, you're right, not going to win Right, but you're it. still supposed to be putting your top four teams in the top right. four slot regardless. Yeah, I got so, you. I got you. Yeah, it, yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance on winning something that may, they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118 Razroom. That's right. PPCC118 Razroom on Facebook. And, Chet, I got to ask you, because you, you, you keep raising the bar, uh, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable next week? All right, Bill. Next week, another pair of fantastic guests. First up, a guy who was on with us once previously. In fact, it was just about a year ago. Fans who will be at Citizens Bank Park for any of the Phil's 81 home games will hear his voice often at the ballpark. He is the PA man there. The awesome Dan Baker joins us live next week. Our second guest, Bill, is a guy whose name is one that you probably don't know and almost certainly can't spell or pronounce. He's the drummer for the very popular band The Hooters, and another project called In the Pocket, which celebrates Philadelphia-area music. He is a huge Eagles and Phillies fan also. He does a weekly podcast of his own focusing on the Philly music scene. His name is David Wasikinen, and he's pretty awesome. Well, good. Can't wait to talk to him. Uh, I just hope I don't have to say his name. No, I won't make you say his name, I promise. Can we go with David W.? Dan Baker you can handle. Yes, I can handle that. You can even spell Maybe we'll that. make Dan say it. I wonder what Dan would do with that name. Oh, I like that. There you go. All right, Chet, let's remind our listeners to visit our Philly Press Box Radio website, phillypressboxradio.com, to cover all the big stories of the Philly sports teams. Also, write a few articles ourselves, and you can listen to our last two podcasts 
and our latest Vimeo as well. You still have our sponsor banners going across the top. Click on the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAids.com. All state insurance banners to go directly to their websites. Remember, it's PhillyPressBoxRadio.com. Yeah. With that, Mr. Chesco, do you have a party shot, sir? I do indeed. I alluded to it earlier, so here we go. Tuesday was not only the final full day of winter, it was also, as it turned out, a day that the Big Five bid adieu to two great basketball coaches and terrific guys. Joe Bodensteiner, athletic director at St. Joe's, a mere nine and a half months, fired Phil Martelli, who has coached the Hawks for 24 seasons, 34 if you count his 10 years as an assistant. He's St. Joe's all-time winningest coach with 444 wins, and along the way his teams won four regular season Atlantic 10 titles and three conference tournament championships. We'll all fondly remember the Hawks' 2003-04 undefeated regular season team that got to the NCAA tourney's Elite Eight. Beyond being a friendly, well-liked guy, Martelli, for more than two decades, has led the Philadelphia Coaches vs. Cancer program as co-chair, helping to raise more than $14 million. Fran Dunphy announced last year that this season would be his last as Temple's head coach. Dunphy has guided the Owls for 13 seasons since taking over for John Chaney. Before that, he coached the Penn Quakers for 17 years, winning 10 Ivy League titles. And, of course, he played college ball at LaSalle back in the day. It's no wonder he's known to some people as Mr. Big Five. As a head coach at Penn and Temple, Dunphy's teams totaled 580 wins. I've had the pleasure of meeting Coach Martelli a couple of times and Coach Dunphy five times over the past ten years. In two of Fran's seasons as a player at LaSalle, he was a teammate of a guy named Stan Ladarchik, who happened to be from my hometown of Mahoney City and who later was a high school teacher of mine. Now, we talked about that a couple of times. Much respect to both Coach Martelli and Coach Dunphy, a combined 54 years of quality Big Five head coaching by those two wonderful men. Absolutely. The Big Five is in flux. There's change ahead, that's for sure. All right, Chet, two quick things of crap we missed. Some meaningless information, but I'll throw it out anyway. In the NHL East, there are nine teams with a plus goals ratio, meaning goals for greater than goals against. Seven have a minus. Just so happens the nine or the nine teams vying for the playoffs ahead of the Flyers who are minus 21. That tells mm-hmm. you something. And, yeah. Chet, Tampa Bay, the, the Rays, will have an analytics coach present in the dugout giving manager Kevin Cash real-time advice. Good? Bad? Uh, it's, it's the way it is today, Bill. So they think it's good, so... Why not? If they think it'll help, give it a shot. I know you don't I'm like wondering it. If he's, I wonder if he's going to have on a uniform or a suit coat. That's what <laughs> I'm kind of interested yeah. in saying. All right, Chet, with that, we've reached the top of the hour. We'd like to thank our special guests tonight, Tom McCarthy and Bob Kelly. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave Boy of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chetchesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, March 27th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes and tune in. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Ah!